in the SEAL teams, there was a, a man by the name of Michael Mansour, right, uh, who is Mansour. a SEAL. He's on a rooftop in Ramadi, and he's providing cover and protection for guys that are out in the road. When from an unknown location, a, an insurgent runs up to that roof, throws a hand grenade on the roof, and it hits him in the chest, falls to the dark, and if you can imagine, he had an exit just a step away. So that grenade is not his problem. Like, guys have gone back and looked at the situation. He could have saved himself. But the rub was that there's other seals on the roof with them, and they didn't have time to get up and make it past right. his grenade to the exit. And so Mikey, in a split-second selfless act, he yells out to these guys, grenade, as he throws himself on top of it. And he absorbed the blast of that grenade, all that shrapnel, that metal, upon himself. Suffered and died, but because yeah. of what he did, all the other guys on the roof, they all lived. So I'd right. say you can mark these words down in history. Greater love has no one than this, one that That's lays right. down his life for his friends. And my name is Jeremy, and I'll be your host for this Everyman livestream, where we will be joining session five of our series, Do It Anyways. Now, over the last four sessions, we have been coming face to face with the reality that the life of following Jesus involves attention. It's the pressure of feelings pushing against the purposes of our faith. It's what we see in our circumstances versus the unseen purposes of God being worked out in the midst of those circumstances. It's culture trying to tell us what a man is and how he should act and Jesus' example and call upon our lives to be like him. Now, in no area of spiritual life is this battle more deeply felt than the area of our will versus God's will. Crossing the line into a relationship with Jesus involves new choices to love God and love people. And sometimes those choices are hard. Maybe that is where you are right now with a relationship, a temptation, a work situation, or a clear moral dilemma. Now, like Jesus in the garden before he went to the cross, we will all have times when we confront God's will and not want to do it. But also like Jesus, every man of God will be called to say what Jesus said in that moment and obey anyways. He said, yet not my will be done, but your will be done. Now in your moment, like Jesus, it might get worse before it gets better. But all men who follow Jesus know that the price we pay is worth the prize and obeying anyways is how we honor Jesus' sacrifice for us. Now before we get started, Please take a moment and share this live stream with someone and ask them to join you. Now, let's join men's expert and pastor, Kenny Luck, for part five of our series, Do It Anyways. Good morning, fellas. If you have a Bible, you're going to want to hold two spots, one in Matthew 26 and the other in 1 Samuel chapter 15. We're in the, in the final session of this study called Do It Anyways. And I want to start this morning with just a little story. Uh, my friend Bill called me uh, recently, and he said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm leading a group of junior high boys. Okay, that takes courage in and of itself uh, right there. Uh, but he said, uh, we're, we're vote, they kind of voted and decided that they wanted me to lead them again next year. And he said, but, okay, here we go, right? But uh, I don't have a co-leader. There's a ton of stuff going on with work. And here was his question to me. Should I say yes anyways? All right. Now, I know that uh, Bill was looking for me to help him do what he knew he needed to do anyways, uh, which was kind of sacrifice the, the, you know, the, the, the comfort that he would have had maybe saying no and focusing on work and not having to do that. But 
he had to work past that, and so this is what I said. I said, first of all, it's amazing that a group of uh, eighth grade boys want to hang out with a 50-something engineer, okay? It's just that, that's, that's it. Secondly, your son is asking you to do it. Like, I would never have asked my dad to leak all over my friends once a week back when I was in eighth grade, all right? And then, then I said, hey, picture yourself, you know, at your son's high school graduation. Would it be worth what you sacrificed to meet with those boys on a weekly basis? And then it's got totally quiet for about 20 seconds. 20 seconds is an eternity on the phone, right? And here's what he said. I never regret it. In fact, afterwards, I feel great. Isn't that the way obedience in the moment to Jesus is? In the moment, you're like, oh, man, there's all these considerations. The enemy might even be pounding you with these rationalizations that sound real tasty and serve your own needs. But there's something inside of you that says, you know what, I, I need to do this anyways. You see, as we talked it out, really, I didn't have to do any more talking. Bill talked himself into it. And uh, soon, there was no dilemma. It just turned into a positive duty. But he needed a brother to come alongside him and just say, you know what? Do it anyways. Think about this. Think about eternity. And so his conclusion was that a decision for himself would have died with him. But a decision for Jesus and his son would remain. And, uh, you know, I, I think there's a lesson there. Sometimes when we say yes to God in the moment, the, the joy doesn't come in that moment. There's a later joy that comes. Maybe it's immediately after you say yes. Maybe it's after you show up and do what it is that God's calling you to do. Or maybe it's shortly after you obey God and don't listen to those voices. Or maybe it's a month after. Maybe it's years. Maybe it's when and only when you're in the presence of Jesus. Amen? Sometimes Men have to make a decision. It's like, hey, this is the right thing to do, and I have to sacrifice my own comfort in the moment, and I have to decide for later joy. You know, the thirst for significance that you have inside to live for God and to love God and to love people, the thirst for that significance only comes with obedience. It only comes with obedience. In fact, the greatest moment of obedience ever created the greatest moment of significance, and it was in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26. For Jesus, it was going to be when and only when he was in the Father's presence afterward that the significance and the redemption and the glory of God was going to be his and only his. And we read about that in Matthew 26. It's right there at the top of your notes, Matthew 26, verses 38 and 39. Then he said to them, his disciples, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. Let's finish it together. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. You see, in between obedience and significance, there's a war. There's tension. There's emotions. There's feelings. There's an inner mental dialogue that's going on. There's competition for control. 
of your identity and your energy and whatever the expression is going to be. You work through it. And Jesus is working through it. You know, in Matthew 26, we find the only time Jesus confronted the will of God and didn't want to do it. He saw what it was going to involve. But he knew there was going to be a later joy. And as we'll find out later in the study, that later joy was you and me. Relationship with you and me. And so here's an observation if you're a follower of Jesus. I'm most like Jesus when, write this down, I say no to self in order to say yes to God. I am most like Jesus. Now, here's Jesus' most significant moment of obedience and his most, his, his most significant moment as a man. When did it come? It came when he said no to himself in order to say yes to God. When are you and I most like Jesus? When we say no to ourselves and we say yes to God. Now, we see this in the Apostle Paul, the greatest Christian who ever lived. He got it. And he kind of built this picture that flows out of that greatest moment of obedience that Jesus had. Listen to the picture that he paints. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. Okay, that moment when Jesus said no to himself to say yes to God. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Let's finish it together. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So do you see the shift? There's a shift. He says, you know, I no longer live, Christ lives in me, and so now I'm living this new life, and my motivation and my model and my mentor and what messages me is that moment of Jesus giving up himself for Paul. And so as believers, we look at that and we go, wow, that's our process too. In moments, we're going to be crucified with Christ. We're going to say no to self, and we're going to crucify whatever desire that is not of him, and then we're going to let him live in and through us, right? On your notes, there's a, a fill-in, and it says present obedience involves, write this down, personal motivation. What I love about the Apostle Paul is not only does he take uh, the example of Jesus and uh, what Jesus did in that moment as kind of a model for how he's going to live, but he also uses it as a motivation that pushes him along. And, you know, when push comes to shove and you're by yourself in the moment, you got to have something that motivates you to do what you know you need to do before God. And for Paul, it was... I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It has that whole dynamic of someone sacrificed for me, I want to honor the sacrifice. How do I honor the sacrifice? I live with a renewed sense of stewardship and responsibility. Let's say those two words together. Stewardship and responsibility. So Paul, reflecting on what Jesus did for him, says, I want to honor that he loved me and he gave himself for me, so now I live with a renewed sense of stewardship over my life. I can't just make decisions the way I used to make them. There's a shift, and now I live with stewardship and responsibility in light of the sacrifice that Jesus made for me. Now, Jesus himself talked about this tension that comes with obedience and significance flowing together. In Mark 8, 35, he says this. Let's read it together. 
if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. Okay? So there's that tension again. Holding on to self and what I want to do with whatever, my time, my talent, my treasure, my resources, my energy, my day, my schedule. And then there's what God declares to be significant. And Jesus is saying, you know what, in that tension, you're going to have to let go to take hold of. You know, this Bible study is called The Call. And the reason why it's called The Call is, is take the, because the scripture behind it is take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And so Jesus is addressing this tension, and that's where we get kind of the second theme of present obedience, all right? There's going to be a tension. you got to have a personal motivation. What's our personal motivation? It's that Jesus loves you and he died for you. That's your personal motivation. Present obedience also involves a later joy. Write that down. A later joy. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, you know what? You're going to give up something to gain something, but guess what? You're going to save what it is that you're looking for in that moment. You're going to save it. It's sort of like you know, when you're on your computer, when you're investing in a document, what do you click? You click save, right? You got to save it. And then that preserves it, right? And if you don't do that, you're going to be bummed because you put in all this time and effort into, into the document, right? So it's a now versus later. Obedience is always, for the follower of Jesus, a now versus later thing, all right? And so present obedience, you got to involve having a personal motivation. And there's nothing more powerful to motivate you to obey in the moment than the cross of Jesus, that he loved you and he died for you. And then there's also an incentive. Jesus doesn't say, well, it's just not obedience for obedience. If you're going to let go of something to hang on to me and my purposes and advance the gospel, it, you're going you're to lay hold of the very thing that you hope for. You're actually going to save your life. Because guess what? A decision for you dies with you. A decision for Jesus goes with you. All right, so let's just kind of keep it simple, and let's talk about what obedience in the moment looks like. Number one, obedience now, right, in the moment, demonstrates my allegiance. It demonstrates my allegiance. It demonstrates my loyalty. It tells people uh, who I love. In Romans chapter 6, verse 16, there's a picture of a person who has offered themselves to another person, okay? It says this, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone, might want to circle that, as obedient slaves, now there's the characterization of the relationship. When you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you what? Obey. Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Right? The reason I ask you to circle, offer yourselves to someone, is because when you cross the line into relationship with Jesus, you offer yourselves to someone. It's not an ideal, it's not a thing, it's not a concept, it's not a philosophy. You are offering yourself to a person. Everybody say to a person. To a person. That's right. There's a relationship. That's why when the disciples address Jesus, they call him master. Right? It's a, it's a nautical term. That means captain, master. Jesus is not just your Lord. He's not just your Savior. He's not just your Redeemer. He's not just your Shepherd. He's not just your Vine. 
He's just not your, mo- he's your master. You know, like they do in the whole Star Wars saga, you know, they call the Jedi, they call them Jedi masters, and they have Padawan learners, right? So if Star Wars resonates with you, Jesus is your Jedi master, and you're the young Padawan learner, okay? But that's what it means to be a disciple, right? You have, you have teacher and student, master and disciple, okay? So the Bible says that when I obey now, it's a reflection of who I've offered myself to you. So question, have you offered yourself to Jesus? Have you offered yourself to him today? Is Jesus your master of the moment? Does he master your moment? Or do you compartmentalize your faith away when it's convenient or when it doesn't fit your moral need in the moment? Or, well, the Bible says there's no distinction. It says, don't you know how this works? When you offer yourself to a person as an obedient slave, and this is a, a positive spin on the whole idea of being totally surrendered and controlled by Christ. It says you are slaves to the one you obey. All right, so my obedience demonstrates who my master is. All right, secondly, obedience now and in the moment accelerates my influence. Every man I know wants influence, whether he knows it or not. You want to be great, you want to do great things. Well, obedience does that. It accelerates your influence. Now, the Bible condenses the whole redemptive plan of God in one verse in Romans chapter 5, verse 19. It condenses creation, fall, redemption, and glory in one verse. Let's read it. Ready? For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, many will be made righteous. So we have two men in two gardens of temptation with a choice for each of them. One man chooses self, and the other man chooses what God declares to be significant. One man's choice creates a blast zone of influence that brings death to many. The other man's single choice produces life and glory for you and me. So whenever you would want to discount a single choice in a single moment, to say no to yourself, to say yes to God, remember Romans 5, verse 19. Every one of us that's listening to my voice this morning, either you're in Adam or you're in Christ, okay? And you're making choices that not just impact you, but that impact other people. And a lot of times we think that private disobedience doesn't have a public impact. Nothing could be further from the truth. Trust me, I'm a men's pastor for over 30 years. Guys who made decisions in private or away from their accountability to Jesus or identity in Jesus, they make private decisions of disobedience. It spills into their public life. And they thought, man, I just thought I could, you know, I thought I could be a 95-5 Christian. 95 for Jesus, 5% for me. Doesn't work that way. If we want influence, we have to obey. You know, and it's, uh, it's, it's one man in one moment in one, with one choice that creates a blast zone of influence. So where is God calling you to obey? I don't know your story. 
All I do know is that God, if you're following Jesus Christ, is calling you to higher levels of obedience and letting go and allegiance. Why? Because you've offered yourself to Jesus, and after you've offered yourself to Jesus, your choices now shift. Third, obedience now in the moment validates Christ's presence. So it demonstrates my allegiance, it accelerates my influence, and it validates Christ's presence. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says this about a group of believers. He says, because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ, for your generosity in sharing with them and with everybody else. And so Jesus is distinguished, or Paul is distinguishing the difference between, or the connection between actions and confession. What is your confession, and what is your actions that accompany your confession? And my actions of obedience, specifically, should accompany my confession of Christ. You see the connection? Where he says there, you have proved yourselves. Others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of Christ. How do, how do people know that Christ is in me? By my commitment to obey him in the moment in various means and in various areas and in various ways over time on a daily basis, okay? It's a difference or it's a connection between my actions and my confessions, the connection between what I do uh, versus what I say, all right? Fourth, obedience now creates confidence. When I obey now, right, for a later joy, and because I'm motivated by what Jesus did for me, it creates confidence. Look at what uh, Paul says in Philemon 21. Let's read it together. Ready? Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. You see, Philemon had a track record of in a moment he was obedient. In another moment he was obedient. Paul observed that in him. There's a moment of obedience. There's another one. I'm, I'm watching. There's another moment of obedience. And then Paul's writing to him and he says, hey, you know what? Confident of your, he didn't say, you know, confident of your faith, confident of, he didn't, he picked his word very carefully. Observing this man, he just goes, you know what? Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. You know, there was a track record of consistency in in Philemon that Paul recognized, and he's like, you know what? I have confidence in you. Do the people around you have confidence in you because of your track record of obedience? How about your pastors? How about, how about, how about your leaders? Is there a track record that you have where it's just like, you know what? I got to go to that guy because you know what? He's consistent. And, you know, there's this integrity that comes from consistency. Amen? That's how you build integrity. It's choice followed by choice, followed by choice. And you know what? It's worked out in private, not in public, by the way. Integrity is worked out when no one's looking. Your character is who you are when no one's looking, not when everybody's looking. And so there is this consistency, uh, both with, with God and among men, that creates confidence in him. I want, I want people to trust me. Do you want people to trust you? The way to get there is to be obedient to God in the moment, all right? public or private, okay? Keeping it simple, a fifth thing that we need to learn about obedience is that obedience now elevates God's joy. Write that down. It elevates God's joy. 
right? Now, if, you're, if you've been a father or, you know, you've, you've coached people or people have been underneath you that you're mentoring, it gives you joy when they listen, all right? Especially if the, if the direction is positive, if the direction is going to create a good result. And in the Bible, there's lots of stories and, and parables of men who both listened and who didn't listen, okay? And then there are, are stories of men who kind of spun their listening, which was really self-serving, into, you know, something else, which was disobedience. And one of those guys was Saul in the Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 15. I'll give you the context really quick, uh, and then we're going to dive deeper into this in our study this morning, is that Saul, King Saul, was given an instruction by God to wipe out a group of people called the Amalekites, okay? And it was, it was, a, it was, a, it was a scorched earth instruction. It was a, there was a, there was a, they were the terrorists of their, of their time. Uh, they were always uh, attacking Israel. God says, Saul, I want you to wipe them out, okay? Don't take, and don't take their, usually you, you, you conquer and you plunder. There's no plundering here. We don't want to, we don't want to touch anything that they're into. We don't want to take their, their plunder. I just, just, just defeat them and totally wipe them out. That means everybody, everything, their cattle. I mean, this was a scorched earth instruction. Very clear. You couldn't be clear. So Saul gets into the middle of it, and he goes, wow, that looks good, and that looks good, and that looks good. And oh, by the way, you know, I'm a conquering king, so you know, conquering kings like to march their their defeated king back, you know, through town, or for whatever reason, he doesn't do what God's told him to do. So then the prophet Samuel shows up after this moment of disobedience to God, and he says this, all right, let's read it together. But Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Now, the reason why Samuel says that is because after he's caught, he says, oh, well, I just saved the best thing so that we could offer them back to God in a church service. So we could, you know, so he's trying to spin his disobedience into some spiritual thing. You know, men in the moment when we're caught, we try to get resourceful, right? Like, what can I do? How can I get out of this? And that's what he's doing. And he goes, you know what? Even if that were true, that you did it for your reasons, and even if that was your reason to honor God, right, you should have just done what God told you to do. So, guys, the, the word of the Lord this morning, what has God clearly told you to do? And are you diluting it? And are you spinning it? Are you trying to make sense of your disobedience in your mind and spin it, you know? No area is this, is this behavior more prevalent than in the sexual area, where guys will spin God's will. It's sort of like they're sexual atheists. God has everything great to say in every area of their lives, except for that one. I go to church on Sunday, I read my Bible, I show up to men's Bible study on Thursday, but in that area, I'm the Lord of my life. I can do whatever I want. God has nothing to say to me. Functionally, they act like atheists in that area. See, that's what we do 
when we have a compartmentalized area of disobedience in our lives. We're functional atheists. God has something great to say in that area, in my marriage, in this area, in my work, in relationships, etc. But over here in this area, Zippo. How arrogant is that? But you see, this is where disobedience takes us when we believe the lies that we tell ourselves and then we try to then bring God into our lie. Wow. Okay. Now, just keeping it simple, all right? The Bible says that when you're obedient in the moment, it demonstrates your allegiance, accelerates your influence, validates Christ's presence, creates confidence, and elevates God's joy. But I'm here to tell you that you can't do that on your own. You need power. Amen? You need the power of the Holy Spirit. To pull this off, to obey now, I will need power now. Write that down. I need power. You see, because there's a clash between your will and God's will. There's a clash between your flesh and God's spirit. There's, there's the little lawyer that comes out in your head that says, oh, you don't need to do that, and you don't need to do that for this reason and that reason and this reason, and then the devil piles on, and you know. And, but there's, then there's this other voice, and it's like, no, Christ died for you. He's your master. This is who you are. You're a man of God. This is where you need to obey. And there's that war in the moment. How, who's going to win? All right? Look at Galatians 5.16 gives us the key. Ready? Let's read it together. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Okay, there's the Spirit is pushing and speaking you, uh, uh, God's promises and God's truth and God's commands into one ear, and it's just saying, obey. That's who you are. Don't compartmentalize. Don't rationalize. Don't compromise. This is who you are. I know you won't feel it in the moment, but afterward, you'll be so excited. You'll be glad you said yes to the Spirit. And then on the other side, it's like, no, man, if it feels good, do it now. YOLO. You know, you only live once. You know, go for it. Why not? You deserve it. No one's looking. Wow. That's why every day, you know, we say it's a good way to start your day. This is the day the Lord has made. You put yourself under God. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And then you have to activate the power of the Holy Spirit. How do you do that? Well, you know, and I, I was thinking about this, this this morning, and I thought, you know, I have I have Google Maps on my or Waze. You know, it's a directional thing. I have, it, I have it on here and in here, but I have to get it to the, to the initial screen, right? And then I have to activate it, and then I need to what? Listen. That is when you become a Christian. Jesus said, I pour this, my spirit into you, so I'm in you to lead you. But what do I have to do? I have to activate the power of the Holy Spirit and what? Listen, that's why after we begin our day with God, we, we activate the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, lead me. Holy Spirit, control me. And that's the picture that the Bible paints in terms of your relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's a walk. It's like, am I, am I, am I behind? Am I ahead? The Bible says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So we start in the morning, right when we wake up. Good morning, Holy Spirit. All right? Holy Spirit, fill me, lead me, control me. All right? Now I'm walking in the Spirit. Now I have power. Now I have the voice that I want to listen to. 
and I'm connected to God, and I'm connected to the downloaded power of the Holy Spirit in my life, and now, moment by moment, in my walk, as I'm taking steps throughout the day, I'm listening not to the little lawyer, or not to the liar, but to the Holy Spirit. Amen? And the Holy Spirit will always encourage you to obey God. The Holy Spirit will always encourage you to do that thing that shows love for God and people, all right? But let's, let's be warned, okay, that we, just, just from the Bible, through this story of Saul, I want to now drill down on this story because Saul is us. A lot of times you read stories in the Bible, it's like, oh, I could never do that. The reason they're in there is because, yes, you can, okay? Um, just like David's the man after God's own heart, all right? David was flawed. Saul had good intentions, but he was flawed too. So let's pick up the story in 1 Samuel 15 when Saul is given a clear instruction. Let's see what he did, okay? It says this, Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, what? Alive! Wasn't supposed to do that. And all of his people, he, but he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag, oh, here we go again, and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. They were unwi- these they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. So they were acting like, conquering, like a conquering army. Okay, we're going to spare the king, probably march him through the city or whatever, and then we're going to spare everything good, we're going to take the booty. Okay? Now let's read the rest together. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Wow. Bummer. See God's heart there? Just like there's clarity and then there's disobedience. And and Saul gave himself permission to put the voice in his head above the voice of God. And you know what, guys? You're going to walk out of here today, and that's going to be the same battle that you're going to walk into. You're going to be tempted to put the voice in your head, which self-preserves and self-protects and self-gratifies and makes you self-important over the voice of God. So let's learn from this parable, all right? Write this down. Selective obedience is not obedience. That's what God's trying to say to us. Selective obedience is not obedience, okay? You might have compartmentalized some area in a relationship, or maybe it's sex, or maybe it's uh, something where you, you're kind of in control of that. God's saying to you right now, you know what? Selective obedience is not obedience. This is what I want to do, but you're afraid that if you do what I want to do, somehow you're going to lose out. Boy, and isn't that the age-old lie of the dark one? Oh, no, he didn't say that. He just knows that if you eat from the tree, your eyes will be opened. Okay? Same silly playbook. He knows how to run maybe three or four plays. Okay? And he runs them over and over and over again. And guess what? He doesn't need an expanded playbook because we're suckers. We actually believe those lies in the moment because he knows he has a willing partner in us. It's called our flesh. 
And so his lies are targeted right at our flesh that seeks to protect ourselves and whatever it is that we're afraid to lose, all right? And God's just like, hey, you know what? You can trust me. But you know what? I regret that I've given you the influence and position that I have. Why? Because you've elevated the voice inside your head above my voice. And then, of course, Samuel, the prophet, man, he was, he, he was really rooting for Saul, and he was angry, and he was upset that the, that the king uh, disobeyed the Lord. Now, this now goes back to, all right, disobedience and the voice. Okay, I'm talking about the voice. It goes back to, okay, whose voice is number one? What's our perspective on God's voice when God speaks, when God reveals, okay? Look at what it says in Deuteronomy 29, 29. One of my favorite passages of scripture. Let's read it together, ready? The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. So there is, there is a relationship between God and man. And then there's a process of revelation from God to man. Okay? The Bible says that there, God reveals himself through nature. Okay? That we can see the hand of God when we walk outside and look up and see the stars or see waves on the ocean or a beautiful vista. All beauty is God evangelizing you and saying, this is me whatever form of beauty it is. Then there's, then there's, there's special revelation. And that's when God decides to take what is secret in him and then he pulls it out because he can't reveal all that he is or all that he knows because it would overwhelm a finite being. So he says, you know what? Okay, the secret, some secret things that only I know I'm gonna bring out to you and they are revealed, okay? And when God revealed his will to Moses, and God revealed his will through the prophets, and all the writers of the Bible, and when God revealed his will through his son, and when God revealed his will through men filled and inspired by the Holy Spirit, that's God taking a secret thing and revealing it. Now, what are we supposed to do with the the things that were previously secret that are revealed in God's word? It says this, they now belong to you, but the things revealed belong to us. So once you've heard, once you know, once you've been exposed to the revelation, the purpose of revelation is application, right? That we may follow, not that we may consider, not that we may debate, not that we may discuss, that we may follow all the words of this law. Right? The law of the spirit of life. That's what we're supposed to do. Right? So write that down. The purpose of revelation is application. Now let's go back to our story about the guy, about two guys, two moments, right? both flawed, but there is a contrast one from the other. Both imperfect. Both blew it, but there is a difference. talks about it in Acts 13.22. Let's, let's read this together. Ready? After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. So if you want to define what a man after God's own heart is, the phrase, he will do everything I want him to do, 
is how you define it. Right? Now, here's the observation which both gives us comfort and challenge. Was Saul an imperfect man? Yes. Was David an imperfect man? But when David blew it, okay, he acted differently than Saul. Saul tried to justify and rationalize his disobedience into some self-serving purpose. David said, I blew it. Read Psalm 51. I need, you to re- I, need to, I need you to cleanse me against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. He owned it. You see, when, it's, not that, it's not that we're going to not blow it. The question is, do we turn? Do we repent? Do we take responsibility? Do we go before God and we say, you know what? I'm agreeing with you that what I did was wrong. I'm confessing what I did was wrong. And then I turn. So when you see this, um, I found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He'll do everything I want him to do. When we blow it, when David blew it, he did what God asked him to do. In fact, I'm looking at certain people right now, and you did exactly what David did. That's what a man does. And now God is blessing you. God is blessing you for doing that. There are some of you who need to do what David did. You need to go, you know what, God? I've elevated the voice inside my head above your clear instruction, above your own revelation. I have rejected it. It doesn't belong to me. I'm not following it. And you know what? I'm sorry. And you need to confess that before God and you need to repent. And then you will be the man after God's own heart. And that's my prayer for you. That in, in, in your moments where you recognize that I've been self-preserving and self-protecting and self-gratifying at the expense of obedience to my master, that you would do what Paul did. That you would just say, man, I, I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I'm going to live now, I'm going to live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I hope that you'll remember the words of Jesus, that the man who seeks to save his life and control his life will lose it, but the man who loses his life in obedience to me will save it, and your decision in that moment will go with you versus die with you. Let's bow our heads and ask God to do that in our lives. Lord, you're speaking in this moment right now to certain men in the room, and you're speaking right now to certain men who are watching online. Holy Spirit, you have put the finger on issues where men are in control. You've put your eye on that thing, that one thing where the voice of men is being elevated over the voice of God. And there needs to be a moment of cleansing and repentance. And so, Lord, I'm right there with them. I do the same thing. But, Lord, we want to be men after your own heart. We want to do the thing that you're asking us to do. We don't want to be men who, when you reveal your will, we compartmentalize your will. Instead, we, we want when the secret things are made known to us from you, when you reveal your will for us, we want to follow all the things that you reveal. And so today, Lord, we confess and repent of the areas of our lives where our voice has been 
rising above yours. And Lord, we, again, take our position. You're the potter. We're the clay. You're the vine. We're the branches. You're the shepherd. We're the sheep. You're the creator. And we're, you're created, and we're loved by you. And we're told by you, because we're loved by you, exactly how to live. And so, Lord, I pray that in moments of tension and conflict between spirit and flesh, by the power of your Holy Spirit right now, I pray that in the moments and days and weeks to come in the life of every man that's hearing the sound of my voice, Lord, that there would be victory in the name of Jesus, that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus would set men free of the law of sin and death, that in the moment there would be life and liberty and power in the Holy Spirit right now. So Holy Spirit, lead us right now, fill us right now, control us right now, and help us to keep in step with the will of God and say yes to you and no to ourselves, to the glory of God. Thank you, God, that obedience to you means significance in heaven. In Christ's name we pray, and God's men said,